Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Master, directed and written by Mariama Diallo. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include racism, 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 suicide, and bugs. And our host ranked this movie as spooky. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, you can visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the 2022 feature debut by Miriam Diallo, the writer-director of podcast favorite short, Hair Wolf. It's called Master. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, the cinnamon roll of cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? This film made me feel emotions, and its I didn't even realize it was the same director as Hair Wolf, because I was like, I should recommend Hair Wolf. Because it has all of the same, like, stomach-grinding moments, except that they're not played for laughs. Yes, all of the yeah. stomach-grinding racism, none of the fun. Next, uh, blogger and reviewer, device in horror, a friend of the podcast, Morgan. How are you today, Morgan? I'm doing great. I have complex feelings about this movie, yeah. and I'm looking forward to discussing it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're glad to have you back. And finally, writer, filmmaker, and friend of the podcast, Jay Joseph Jr. How are you tonight, Jay? Good to have you back. Thank you very much for having me back. Um, it's definitely a movie. <laughs> it's a series of pictures put on film. Is <laughs> yes. in, in a narrative, more or less, fashion. Yeah, I, I drew the short straw on this tonight, so I'm going to be doing a quick recap. It's a little more scattered than these usually are because I found this movie particularly difficult to talk about without, like, going through every beat of every single scene, but I'm going to do my best here. Uh, it is, as we said, written and directed by Miriam Diallo. It stars Regina Hall and Zoe Renee in sort of the main roles. Uh, not a huge cast in this movie, and most of it is spent on those two. As I said, it's really hard to recap this movie because it's mostly a lot of foreboding microaggressions going into full-on racism, aggra racist aggression, and not a ton of but we meet Jasmine Moore, an incoming freshman at Ancaster University, which is a elite New England university that could stand in for any number of elite New England universities near Boston. She is moving on to campus and the girls who are handling move in are already the worst and <laughs> talk about how she has the room. We also meet Gail Bishop. She's the master of Belleville House, which is not a term I was familiar with. But seems to be like sort of mini Dean R.A. who lives in a large house next to the residence hall. The closest thing I had ever experienced as in pop culture was actually a different world where like they had the, you know, character was the, the house mother still at that point. This was like out of my wheelhouse. Like I was an R.A. as a you know college person, but this is like a whole different. I guess she's like the level below Dean, it seems at this point. She's, she's still teaching, I guess, and also is on, like, boards for things. Yes. She has tenure. It's important. She does have tenure. And this is a prestigious position that she is the you know, first black woman to ever hold. So 
Gail is being painted for a, a painting to go in this house at the beginning. And it's an ongoing thing in the story, uh, along with the racism. And specifically, the room, the house that she lives in has a racism room in the attic that starts off with like uncomfortable reminders of racism in the past, like the bells for what seems to have been slave or servant quarters up there, you know, that are set up to go, you know, all throughout the house so people can ring bells to an infestation of insects, which gets in her painting and in all of her stuff to literal overt reminders of racism, including like a phrenology or like a racist phrenology chart and a very strange, poorly cropped photograph that shows a family and then sort of in the background, half of the kitchen with a slave or servant woman in it, which I, I don't know who that photographer is, but they should get their money back. She must have stood there for a long time, or that's a that's a younger photograph than we saw it because like those <laughs> exposures are very very long. Yeah, and I this the, the insects will very clearly be a metaphor for the racism infesting all of this higher learning institution. We get it; it's there. It's not subtle. Jasmine's story is a bit more complicated. She's dealing with an asshole roommate named Amelia. Constant microaggressions from every white student and the black staff at the dining hall and her one black teacher. Oh, also, she is in a room that is haunted by a ghost of a witch who every so often decides to kill somebody from her room in her dorm at precisely 3.33 a.m. We really know the time. We're not so clear on the date. December 3rd. Yeah. I mean, eventually we get there, but um, it's weird. Where the two stories coincide is around the other important Black woman on campus, Liv, a teacher who is giving Jasmine ridiculously bad grades. She gives her an F for a paper that she doesn't even explain why she doesn't like in the story. Um, and Gail is on the tenure board for Liv to decide whether she is getting uh, tenure at this university. Jasmine also sleepwalks and has very vivid dreams, which I'm sure won't come up again. <laughs> she mentions that very early on. Uh, Jasmine and her roommate Amelia don't get along from the word go, but it gets worse when the dude Amelia is after kisses Jasmine and then somebody carves leave on their door and leaves a noose hanging on the doorknob. There seems to be some confusion in Jasmine's mind as to whether this is the witch or racism. And Amelia just seems to be pissed off that any of it's happening. And it's not really clear if she's got anything to do with it or what. She will eventually leave and that plot will just stop existing. Amelia was being assaulted. Jasmine was assaulted and Amelia was mad. And then, you know, that, that whole plot is sort of is very subtle in this bit. I'll talk about the plot with Amelia being assaulted here in a second. Okay, yes. Because it's, it's the beginning of shit getting stepped up on the racism for Jasmine, which culminates in a literal burning cross in the front yard of the dorm during Thanksgiving when everyone else is away. Uh, Gail sees this. Because she's, I guess, running nearby. Gail just spent a lot of time running outdoors and noticing things. Like, after they have this argument, Gail finds Amelia outside on the ground, looking as if she's been through some shit. And there were two boys that were there with her who run off just as Gail approaches. This is the scene that comes like out of nowhere. There's no like context as to the scene, other than she is suddenly outside with a flashlight and hears some stuff and two boys run off. And then she finds Amelia on the ground and then tries to counsel her. And then Amelia's like, oh, I know what happens when stuff like this. 
I won't go through that again. And then Amelia leaves school. And that is never touched on again. Jasmine is learning about how the first person to die in her room being hung by this witch also happened to be the first black student that was in this university. She still is solidly on team. It's a witch at this point, despite there being like a weird tie of, of race and people getting hung at this university. Uh, she ends up seeing like the shape of this witch. She thinks a woman in uh a cloak out on the quad stalking her she ends up running back into her dorm climbing out onto the roof and then falling off of it she wakes up in a hospital and then i've got to back up because there also is a subplot about there being people who live near this university who are descendants of its founders and live like it's the 1700s as if they were amish gail keeps seeing them when she goes out on runs um, including a, a funeral going on at one point. And then we have the story of like, Liv gets tenure by at this board meeting. They're like, hey, you haven't published a lot of stuff, so we have to look at your teaching. And also like this grade you've been giving this kid is challenged. So maybe your teaching is suspect. And Liv's answer to this is, y'all should look at all the fucking racism on this campus. That's why you should give me tenure because a cross was burned and there's horrible shit going on. So just give me tenure now, which apparently works. Jasmine and Gail have a talk at the hospital, in which Gail tells her the witch is definitely not a real thing. And the real issue is racism. And it's all over the place in America. And she can't leave the university and she can't quit because she'd be running away from this. And she doesn't want to see her give up this chance. Uh, so she encourages her to stay Jasmine apparently takes this as an indication that she should go back to the university and hang herself in her room immediately. She sees Liv on the way there and Liv's like, you shouldn't be here. And then Gail finds her hanging in the room. This is after Jasmine has, I guess, another racist encounter with a woman at the hospital, which, again, like many things that happen in this movie, it's unclear how much of it is real and how much of it is her like weird sleepwalking. Because a lot of it has weird lighting that I was like, oh, this must mean that it's like a sleepwalking vision thing that she's having. Because several things obviously are things that don't happen, but are sleepwalking issues. But then there are several things that happen in this lighting that definitely actually happen, including yeah. like the scene with the cross burning. So it's real unclear to me some of the stuff like what happens and what doesn't. Yeah, so because racism is everywhere, she takes this as an uh, indication that she should go hang herself rather than continue to fight. Gail then finally answers these weird calls she's been getting from a woman who wants to tell her about her daughter, Elizabeth. She goes to a diner to meet this woman and turns out to be one of the people living as if it's the 1700s in the community nearby who says she's actually the mom of Liv and that Liv is a white kid who grew up as part of this community and left at some point and has decided since then that she is going to start living as a black woman. This is very clearly like inspired by Rachel Dolezal's stuff. I don't think they actually say her name. Never. But it's like very clearly what they're playing with right here. I mean, they cast her, they cast her to look like Rachel Dolezal too. Yeah, they styled her yeah. to look great, like or they Rachel styled Dolezal. Her. Yeah, thank um, you. I, I personally found it weird because as far as I know, Amber Gray is actually biracial. Yeah. yeah, she is. Yeah. But it just struck me as very odd. It's a strange choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, the fact that the like big 
twist in this movie revolves around somebody living in a community where they act like it's 1700s making anonymous phone calls which they don't really dive much into yeah gala tries to confront Liv about all of this at the 10-year party for Liv. Liv tries to deflect and uh is attempting to get uh gail to dance with her by putting on club rap music at this faculty party and making everybody including gail incredibly uncomfortable and gail eventually shuts the shit off and uh confronts her about about her being white when the white staff members try to intervene basically tells them to go fuck themselves and talks about how she's going to be haunted by Jasmine forever because she could have done something to help her and she didn't. And then there's another scene at this party where she is still there. Galen stayed at this party, which is the wildest thing that happens in this movie to me. The white faculty have decided to like try and comfort her about this being a mental health thing and how it's been a rough year for everybody. <laughs> so it, it's fine that she or yelled at Liv, but they have not taken any of this stuff she said about Liv seriously. Liv then tells Gail that she doesn't know her and doesn't know about her life, and that she claims to be the bastard daughter of a, a black man and this this mom, and then puts on her cloak, which looks exactly like the cloak we've been seeing the like witch character wear throughout, but there's nobody there to comment on any of this at that point. And Liv walks off into the credits. Gail, meanwhile, leaves the party and is immediately confronted by security on the lawn because she is a suspicious black woman walking around campus. And the security guy asks to see her credentials. And she says, oh, I don't work here. I'm just on my way out. And then walks off literally into the credits of this movie. And that's the end. She's gone. Well, she walks up to the credits and then we see a bunch of uh, black groundskeepers come in and work on the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Jay, I feel like you have some stuff to say about this movie generally. First and foremost, I think the main issue with the movie is kind of communicated in Jeremy going over the plot there. It suffers from a disease we generally call TMS, which is too much story. There's a lot that this movie tries to do, and and, and it kind of fits together, but it doesn't really, because we have the plot about the witch, and then we have microaggressions. And we're following two different characters, Jasmine and Gale. And then there's like an allegory to the Scarlet Leather in there. And there is the Puritan community or whatever they're supposed to be. And it just throws a lot at you at once. I, I, I had a hard time settling into the story. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly, I feel as, as Jeremy said, like you get to minute 50. I actually look at the timing when the twist with um, her roommate happens. You know, it's been the movies more than halfway over. I'm like, well, how's this? going to factor into oh it's not it's just going to introduce that thing that seems really major and then just walk off from it that's like my main overall thing of this movie i, I feel like it deals with a lot at the same time and here we'll kind of did too here we'll like introduced a lot of stuff but the way here did it was almost more like a standard routine like a comedy routine mm-hmm. and so it worked a lot better that way but in this one it seemed to be trying to seriously address a bunch of different issues at once that they do matter they are important but it did it in a way that i think overall kind of made the movie a bit incoherent and i found my myself doing more work as a moviegoer than i feel i generally should be doing uh to understand a film like this did you feel like that uh diluted the message i don't know that that it's so much um had a concrete message that i want to communicate as i feel like it was trying to capture the overall american freshman experience especially from 
views of, you know, a black woman in this country and kind of what her personal were like. And like, like some of these events that went down, I think I had a little bit of difficulty with it because it didn't really feel like human interaction. I want to, I guess is the best way to put it, whether that comes down to performance or writing. I think everyone was, was a good actor. I think they did a good job, but I feel like someone who had probably been at like the craft for a longer time or understood the craft a little better could have seen that material and drawn more out of it because these interactions felt very stilted and very forced. Then they felt very like subjective to like the director that, okay, this is what I experienced. This is how I feel it went down, but it didn't communicate in a very human way, I don't think. So it made it very difficult to identify with. So, and I think, you know, Jeremy used the word microaggressions and i feel like that's what this movie was it's just like a series of different microaggressions kind of blown up i think in addition to just trying to communicate a lot with the story that maybe the director didn't trust the audience enough to kind of trust where she was going with it and that we wouldn't get the sense that things were off and maybe didn't trust our subjectivity or something and so it pushed things a little more than i think it had to you know and and came off as kind of like over the top and disingenuous in force yeah Yeah. i think it didn't quite commit enough to certain things and it committed too much to other things. Like I was not expecting that. Like I was happy that there was some, some clear messaging, some clear commitment towards the end, but it still didn't really validate other elements of the story, like Amelia's whole crisis and the whole live situation then being suddenly subjective was because like that whole situation was so full of twists and turns that it just was not like clear we and and you know as much as we as an audience want to trust gail we've also been shown that jasmine is our protagonist for most of this movie and then we want to see her through it but she is ultimately sacrificed for a character that is complex but also we don't know where they land where they're where like anything concrete about them yeah like I said, I have very mixed feelings about it. There are things that I like, like the portrayal of microaggressions that felt really genuine because it could be interpreted as like racism, but it's also like not blatant enough that it can't be explained away. Like when the librarian checks her books, you know it's because she's black that the librarian's checking, but it can easily be explained away that, oh, well, the alarm went off and we just check everybody's book it's like that happens so i felt that was genuine i like the concept of treating racism as a haunting this insidious supernatural force that you can never escape and that like slowly eats away at you i didn't like the execution as much I felt like they ramped up a little too fast going from microaggressions to burning crosses I would have liked if they had focused on the microaggressions longer because in some ways I feel like that's almost scarier because those can be explained away or people can just be like, oh, you're just imagining it. Oh, you're just overreacting. But those are the things that like affect you the most. Not to say that burning crosses and nooses on doors don't happen at colleges in America. They absolutely do. I just wish it hadn't ramped up quite so quickly to that. At least that was, that's my point of view. I liked the ideas. I just thought, like Jay said, they were trying to cram too much in there. Like the whole subplot with Liv actually being white. That could have been a movie in and of itself. I mean, it basically was within this movie. Yeah. Yeah. A movie in <laughs> yeah. and of itself. 
Um, yeah, and I was like, it felt like they weren't giving enough time to explore. They had all these great ideas, but they still weren't exploring them enough. I wanted them to like focus more on Jasmine mm-hmm. or even have dual protagonists with Jasmine and Gail, but they didn't really give either of them enough time to like really develop the story. Yeah, I think like sure. there's a real solid idea there of like the the racism as a haunting kind of thing mm-hmm. but there are also like genuine like it, it's never clear what's actually happening to jasmine in this movie mm-hmm. because she there are definitely racist things that happen to her on a grand scale like the cross burning like the noose on the door having leave curved in her door there are also a lot of microaggression things that are happening throughout this, which are some of the like better delivered things in the movie. The party scene I where agree. she is dancing and having a good time, and then they put on this rap song, and all the white kids in the room start saying the N word along with the rap song, and suddenly gets mm-hmm. incredibly uncomfortable. Like that is something that like the pitch of that scene is perfect, and I think would have been maybe what to go more with with the story, but. They seem insistent on also having the quasi-supernatural witch angle in there, which, like, it's never, like, if it were kids, like, white kids playing pranks on her, pretending it's a witch to get her to drop out of school, and that were something that were made apparent, Mm -hmm. then I feel like that would work. But there's also scenes where, like, she's asleep and there's the arm that comes out from under the bed and scratches her arm. And then she wakes up because she's been sleeping, but also she still has a scratch on her arm that like feels out of supernatural thriller movies that have nothing in common with this movie that like, that's the stuff that really didn't work for me. I would have liked if there was a little more ambiguity of whether the haunting was real or not, or if it was all in her head. But stuff like you mentioned, like the scratches on her arm made it seem like it was actually happening. And yeah. I I would have liked it more if like it was unclear if there was a witch or if Jasmine is just seeing a witch because of all the stress that she's under from the microaggressions and the racism and she's dealing with. Yeah, I think there are actually two major issues in the movie. The, the, the first thing I said is that, you know, the movie just couldn't resist spelling certain things out, I think, by... Gail, for example, giving that speech that it's not a ghost, it's not supernatural, it's racism, it's everywhere. And losing the character of Jasmine herself, it just kind of eliminates the possibility of any other kind of suspense because it's removing all uttered out. Even the live scene, it feels like the instinct of the movie was to make it ambiguous as to if Liv was living this lie as like... Mm -hmm a transracial person or if she actually was biracial and really did have this uh, secret black fauna that she talks about. And then the movie can't resist removing all doubt by having her put on the witch's cloak. And you go, oh, okay, so, you know, she is full of it. And there's just a lot of moments like that where the movie just kind of ruins all of the hard work it did towards making you question Jasmine's kind of uh, mental state and if she was really being haunted or if she was suffering mental illness, or if she was just being tortured by these other white people around her. And I think the other major problem the film had was um, it just failed to establish a concrete visual language in the beginning. I think part of that was because it spent a lot of time just focusing on 
Jasmine and Gail moving into their respective wives in the campus. I even wrote down the note that it felt like a very long introduction that didn't really tell us anything about the characters. Like we don't learn anything about where Jasmine came from until she literally tells us later on when she confronts Liv, like, oh, I grew up in the suburbs. I went to so-and-so. You know, we don't know anything about Gail's friendships. You know, we just know that now she's master of the school. And she has a speech later on, like, oh, I didn't fix any diversity. And I'm questioning, well, was that why you were there? Is that why you got the position? Because this stuff about diversity didn't start coming up until the final act in terms of the school having a diversity problem and all that. But in cutting between the two characters, it was very, very diplomatic. So it didn't really tell us who we should really be following and keeping an eye on. You know, it didn't really, like, establish your circumstances. And it was all very pretty. Like, it was well shot. But it wasn't shot in such a way as to teach us how we're watching the film. So I think Jeremy made a great point about the lighting in the film and how sometimes the lighting will tell you, you know, she's trapped in the nightmare and other times the lighting will be the same in the real world. That is very confusing. And that's because this movie just didn't have a concrete visual language. And that's very, very important, especially to a horror film where, you know, you have to question reality all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, a, and a film that is about something. I think that the relationship between supernatural haunting and racism needed to be clearer. Mm-hmm. And when you have something like this being discussed, racism, assault, all of these hard topics that people confront, especially in a college setting, considering the history there, adding subjective reality to that is a really, really dicey thing, I think. And I think that with her being a sleepwalker and having these nightmares, the nightmares were less metaphorical and more confusing as to what was actually going on so much so that when things were actually happening you would doubt it and that's not great that's the problem that people have with this kind of situation so you know i think it it slipped into some dangerous territory there and confusing the message i mean let me say first of all if i never see another horror movie with a sleepwalking protagonist i'll be (laughs) fine like (laughs) I am just so done with that as a plot device. And like, there's a difference between like this. Oh, yeah, sometimes I sleepwalk and like the Baba Dukes. I haven't been sleeping and I'm not really sure when I'm awake and when I'm asleep. And those are very like that is done very effectively in the Baba Duke. And in this movie, it's like, I don't know when you're awake and asleep, even by the end of the movie. And, and it's the cues are all wrong. But I, I wanted to say about the live part that there are two potential interesting stories in that and in that revelation that they don't quite commit to either one which is like it definitely seems to imply that because she has the witch's cloak and everything and that Liv is in some way behind some of the things that have happened to Jasmine Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't spell any of that out in a way that like the cloak seems to want you to understand that like oh Perhaps this woman has like staged all of this racism against this black student so that she could get tenure, which is like, that's a wild, that's a wild way to go with that. But is, is a possibility. But then there's the like other way that this could be interesting, which is that like Gail has dropped this story on jasmine about how like racism is everywhere and you can't get away from it and there's really only one one time that we see gail comfortable in this movie and that's when she is in the company of this other black woman live 
that she feels like she can be honest with. And then it turns out that like, there's white racism in there too. Like this, this woman is actually, you know, not black at all. And is you know, using this sort of transracial identity to even get into this one space where she felt safe and comfortable, but because they're trying to do too much stuff and going so many different directions, they're not able to like commit and nail any of those points. I feel like. I almost wonder, I had this thought while I was watching the film and, and I did look it up and I, I see, you know, I know it was her first feature and, I did absolutely love Hair Wolf. I, I I saw she has like two other shorts that I'm very interested in watching. I didn't have the chance to watch them before this, just to learn more about the director and her screenwriting. And while I know this was shot as her first feature, there's part of me that questioned as to I wonder if this is a TV show first, because on a movie, I'll be honest, it loses a lot of coherency and it introduces a lot of different story threads and it just kind of randomly drops. And then there's the live revelation. And I feel like all of that is almost more in the style of Bly Manor and Lock and Key and American Horror Story, you know, than it is like Get Out and that development in those films. It feels, you know, more like it has that kind of, you know, if this was done in a series of chapters and you had time to really flesh out the characters and all that, then if it really had the real estate to explore all that, it could have made a compelling story with a very compelling antagonist. But the way it is now, it feels like it's a bigger story that was all condensed down to get it kind of done quickly. And I just kind of wonder, like, like this is me fully speculating here, going off into like the world of filmmaking. I wonder if she had the show, showed it around, you know, and went, you know, and, and then this happens, this happens, that she met some producer or has some friend who said, nah, that doesn't work as a TV show. This is a feature, right? As a feature and get it done. And, and I yeah. kind of wonder if that, if that happened here. I, I was yeah. thinking the same thing because it, it does strike me very much as something that has like more character development to be done that seems to have been cut out at some point and uh it, it feels uh series like and i i even wonder because it is an amazon original and i wonder if like having the series them come out like in the last couple of years and receive less than stellar reviews and have a very like similar racially tinged horror idea behind it if you know somebody was looking at this as a series and then decided well maybe we'll we won't do that again we'll just make it a movie and that, again that's pure speculation but it feels um cobbled together yeah i can imagine this as a show with all of this going on as a thread and then there, it's all about gail and jasmine trying to uncover the fucked up history of this school mm -hmm. and then finding the identity of the witch because i feel like the there was this whole thing about the witch that was really, really like telegraphed, but it never went anywhere. And, you know, it seemed like the, that was going to be the mystery. But it, it just, again, like so many other threads, it was dropped when we lost Jasmine, especially. And I kind of wish they like had spent more time on the revelation with Liv that she is potentially white and going to be black. Yeah, uh, so I felt like that idea could have been explored more, like the appropriation of black culture, how white people like and get it out where like white people see black culture as being appealing and they want to be a part of it without actually having to deal with all the baggage that comes with it. I'm biracial, but white passing. And one of the things that white people always ask me when they find out I'm half black, they ask, "Is can you? Oh, can you say the N word?" And I'm like, "Why is that the first thing that you want to do?" Whereas black people find out I'm mixed, the first thing they ask me is, 
So you hear all the racist stuff that white people say when they think that you know, black people are. And to me, that kind of shows like very different perspectives. Like black people know that having that one drop rule, it comes with a lot of baggage. White people just see it as like this cool, exotic thing that gives you N word privileges or whatnot. One more push that they don't have. Yes. And they think that it's privilege and it's. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't see their own privilege. And I think that could have been like an idea that they could have explored more. But as it is, it was kind of shoved in there along with everything else. So we don't really get to explore this idea of appropriating Black culture. Because I remember the first time I watched the movie and she was revealed to be white. I was like, wait, what What does this have to do with anything that just happened? So, yeah, I would have liked if Liv's story had been, like, blown out a little more. We get to, like, find out more about her. Like, because there's little hints here and there. Like, you kind of get the impression she's trying too hard to be, like, the hip black person. Like, when she says over Thanksgiving, she's going to be getting collard greens and sweet potatoes and everything. And when she's playing the music, she's like, oh, no, I'm going to play some real music at a faculty party wildly inappropriate the interaction that stood out to me that kept coming back to me was the one with gail when gail's had the bad party and she comes over to talk to her and she was like as soon as like she brings up that it felt weird like Liv immediately says oh you felt like a house n-word and she's like uh no that's not what i was gonna say that's it's kind of a long jump um and then like when Liv brings up with She's like, yeah, I'm an only child, too. And then we find out she has a brother. The character of Liv is worth talking about because I have a lot of complicated feelings over that character. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's some stuff in there. I hate doing this because I don't like, you know, second guessing the, the motivations of like another creator, you know. But I do feel like, at least for me, there's a little bit of political background noise that I can't help but touch on as we talk about Liv. But hey. first and foremost... I'll address the story issue with it, which is I'm just never quite sure how the narrative wants me to feel about Liv. First, I thought it was at a deficit because I've actually, of all the books I've read, I've actually never read The Scarlet Letter. And I realized a lot of it was allegorical towards that. And I didn't quite have a grasp on how ridiculous the essay Liv was asking about from her students would have been. And so whether or not, you know, Jasmine's grade was actually warranted or not. I just had no frame of reference for that, you know, and, and there's no other character to kind of like reinforce that either. But then as it continued on, I realized that whether or not you're familiar with the Scarlet Letter is irrelevant because every interaction with Liv is kind of this way. It's like, did I feel that, you know, she's trying too hard? Should I feel she's pushing back on Jasmine and picking on her in particular? And then there are these scenes, you know, where, oh, but she's actually... Gail's best friend in the world. Maybe she's okay. You know, I'm just, I'm just always uneasy around Liv. And as much as I feel that might be valid, I feel she's a little too integral to the plot. And she really is our only other person of color with that we have any kind of real contact with outside mm -hmm. of Gail and Jasmine and this story about race. So she was just disorienting as a character for me. I felt like her whole situation being a villain who is exploiting the white guilt is such a like conservative cartoon i feel like it's really close to being able to be misread 
And I, I really hate that. Like, especially in this movie that has so much to say about a lot of what life is like for students of color or, you know, any minority student in this case, it's very important that, you know, it's about blackness and this Ivy League college. But yeah, like the narrative of the person who was a mi- who represents a minority who is exploiting a system that is trying to reconcile is it, it's not helpful to a discussion about how fucking broken the system is. That's sort of where my biggest issue with the live character lies, because I feel like even if she's like mixed race, even if she's, you know, like like everyone has already said, her story is not developed enough for us to feel the way that I think we're supposed to feel about it because we don't know anything about these Amish adjacent people we don't know what their relationship is to the school this is a kind of baffling decision that said you know I did think that the movie was a valuable watch you know yeah yeah despite this confusing like messaging in the in the center story but I I just lost my train of thought I'm so sorry I was I, thinking I about the say- world. <laughs> jumping in on the like live being underdeveloped there's a small yeah. army of characters in this movie who are underdeveloped like this amelia very obviously because amelia has a major story in this movie that is just not in this movie like you know um, the uh, scene where she is assaulted and then leaves is clearly the remnant of something that was supposed to be a lot more of this story and then just like got cut down to these couple of scenes that almost don't make sense next to each other like they're not filled out in a way that makes sense. Tyler is like seems to be an important love interest character and he's in all of two scenes. You've got the character Katie who mentions like passingly that she's Jewish at one point in the story and like that's I guess why she's hanging out with Jasmine is they're like this little cohort of her and for God's sake, Pasada, what is Ella Hunt doing and like the background of this movie this is like yeah. this, she is way too good to be like the british best friend who has like 10 lines and is in all of these scenes we're talking about again anna from anna the apocalypse like she's yeah. just there Even at in itself i feel avoids a very tricky question about race because there's this entire scene that jasmine has in the bathroom where she gets a hug from another black student. Sasha, and then, yeah, it was, it was yeah, another one Sasha. of these characters who is an upperclassman who's black who uh, only appears in this one scene. Her, her white friends come in and then, and then she separates from her, almost like she can't be seen with her. And that was a really interesting choice. I just think there's something to say there about, you know, black people who will only keep white friends or will only be seen with her, or won't be seen with the black friends or whatever. But then that's something else that's just totally tossed aside. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like how she straightens her hair too. She starts off with like natural hair and then she straightens it to try to fit in better. Right. Like, why didn't they explore that more? How she's almost rejecting her own blackness because she feels like she has to fit in and she doesn't want to be this stereotype. And there really is this this undercurrent. I think that's a great way to put it because there really is this undercurrent throughout the film of Jasmine rejecting her blackness. But then that's something that's also not very strong for something that essentially kills Jasmine in the long run. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't escape racism. It's going to haunt her no matter what. That's a huge thing to kind of like introduce and then just not deal with in the film. So. Yeah. And doesn't she say she's from fucking Tacoma? There's no like yeah. racism at Tacoma. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the that's the weird thing to me is that this character 
who yeah is from Washington State, I guess, is just being introduced to the concept of racism at college. Like, I mean, I know like it's different, right? Like it's on a different class level, but like she she is all in on this witch thing from the beginning, despite like the obvious racism going on around her. Well, and I it's think really weird. I don't think that she ever thinks it's not racism. I think that she's you know she knows that it's racism. But I mean, I don't know. I the way that I read that was that she was so used to these microaggressions that she's like, how is this different than before? You know, and then it became once you got a supernatural angle to it, then it became a life threatening thing. Whereas, it, you know, if this movie was clearer, it would be clear about how those microaggressions we're now accumulating into the fatigue that eventually drove Gail out from the fight because it's the, all that was another weird messaging thing is that like, you know, you would expect a movie like this to be like, you got to stay in the fight and you got to represent and, you know, all, you know, and change things. And then Gail's like, you know what, this isn't worth my, this particular battle isn't worth dying for, you know, which for Gail, yeah. Sounds great, but like the arc wasn't clear enough to me for it to be I, like, yeah, yeah. I have very strong feelings about message too. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. So I do a lot of DEI work through my job, and so I'm one of those people who's like, yeah, we got to change the system, even though it really sucks and it's really hard, and people are inviting you every step of the way. So on the one hand, I was like frustrated that she just gave up and she was just like not screw it and nothing's ever going to change like she literally said it, it's never going to change and that's like a really frustrating discouraging thing to hear yeah but on the other hand when they're talking about self-care obviously they were like totally appropriating the conversation and making it about themselves and their whiteness but there there was a point to be made that black people shouldn't have the burden of having to do all this work just by default of being black and jasmine really did need to focus on her own well-being and reach out instead of trying to take all this on like on her own and i can totally see why Gail would just be like you know what screw these people i'm done i've tried making things better and i'm just i'm tired i need a break when i first started doing dei work i asked for advice from one of the trainers, like, how do you practice self-care? How do you deal with, like, ignorant questions and ignorant people every day? And she says, easy, I don't work on Fridays. So basically, if somebody had a stupid question, when she's in teacher mode, she'll answer it and be, like, very compassionate. She'll explain it. She'll be very patient. If you ask her the same question on Friday, she'll be like, that is a stupid fucking question, and you should feel bad for asking. People, black people need that space to just be able to relax and not have to be educating white folk. And that is what Gail had to do throughout the entire movie. And yeah. she had to put up with her own microaggressions, like when she became the house master and they're like, soon you'll be president. Should we call you Barack Obama? And I was like, so I have very mixed feelings about the message of the ending. I'm like, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I feel strongly about it. I agree about the self-care point. And I, I think the major 
issue with this film is that for the character Jasmine alone, she has four things going on, right? First off, <laughs> she's a freshman and for the first time and she has to deal with that you know she's dealing with all these microaggressions as a black woman and she has to deal with that you know finding her place there and then there is this question of her health that kind of like steep walk and insomnia i guess it does mention it a little bit and then there is this entire concept of the witch which feels the most kind of out of place thing I like the bow gail puts on it at the end when she says you know it's not a ghost it's not supernatural it's everywhere and it never goes away you know and then and then she turns to the ghost speech later on she's like you know it's like a ghost you can't prove it you can't hunt it I, and i thought those were great points i just really feel like i need something that you know i think my in- instinct is almost to go the opposite way with it I, I think for all of us everything felt a little too real and part of that i believe is because a lot of the stuff that happens in the script is based on real world events you know yeah you know that actually happened to a professor just up north of me at a college the you know the burning crosses we know that happened the the treating the black person like a maid at a party we know that happens especially being stopped for the books and being checked and all that so all of that stuff is very real so then when the movie would say oh by the way the witch might have done it you don't buy that yeah 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 it's just not good enough as an as kind of like an excuse and to misdirect us or make us wonder huh i wonder if something supernatural is going on there at no point are you wondering that because it's all just too visceral and real yeah i was kind of wondering if what she was trying to do with the story we kind of mentioned about how jasmine was kind of projecting her own blackness if maybe she was trying to show jasmine is not really accepting the microaggressions and microaggressions and kind of gaslighting herself into thinking, oh, they didn't really mean that. They're my friends. Oh, they probably check everyone's book if the alarm goes off. Oh, they just asked me to clean up because I was the closest person and she probably tries to like justify it in her head. And so when even like the news incident, she tries to play it off. So I'm wondering if what they were trying to do, albeit not well, was Jasmine kind of created the witch because she couldn't accept that what she was happening to her was racism. She's like, no, I come from the suburbs. I'm a valedictorian. That doesn't happen to me. That shouldn't be happening to me. And she rejects, like, the other Black student. She basically rejects her friendship. We see the moment of weakness where they hug and it seems like it's going to be okay. And then she's like, distances herself. So I'm wondering if maybe that's what they were trying to do. But if that's what they were trying to do, it's very unclear. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Especially given the the conversation in the hospital where Gail is almost like, well, she's disconnected from reality. This isn't a witch, you know, it's, yeah, I could, yeah. 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 It feels like an autopsy. Like there's, there's something, (laughs) there's something there. Something killed this movie. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's difficult to parse out exactly what it was, you know? Yeah. This was a promising young movie. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was a bad movie. I no. mean, I enjoyed it. It's just that it had a lot of potential and then didn't follow through. Yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier when I lost Which my train of thought. Yeah, it's, there's a lot that this movie is trying to say. And, you know, you don't, I'm not saying you have to have an answer whether you should fight where you should take care of yourself you know it's not a binary situation mm-hmm. but 
the fact that you had like a bunch of horrible shit happening, some supernatural shit happening. What the movie really should be talking about is this life that these people have to deal with and the reality of that. And if it is if it is discussed with something like a supernatural metaphor, the way that the Babadook is, you know, that would be cool. If it was just like, how do I get over this fatigue of having to just exist without all this shit going on, this noise of people being racist? I think that, you know, either way, I think that the that reality is important just for people. Like if I was if I was trying to talk if I was like a white white schoolmaster and I was trying to talk to the other white kids in the college, I'd be like, you know, here's what not to do right like it's a really great like you know sometimes we don't have an answer but we do have things that we should not do i mean if that worked like a lot of white people see something like this and are like we would never do that you know or whatever but like i still think it's a valuable reflection on just how it feels to to be dealing with all that because it is so it is so well represented by the interactions in the movie i think i think you know and that's me talking and speaking as a white person. So, you know, I know this is an audio medium, but I just want to make, it, make sure that's clear to our listeners. But yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't like put this on the top of a list of movies to recommend in that regard. But, you know, like this is where I feel like it'd be useful um, and it would be memorable for people. This movie yeah, almost yeah. feels like to me, like we, we talked about it being like a, you know, feeling like maybe it was a TV show. It also sort of feels like somebody was like, all right, we we want to do a movie with you. What have you got? And somebody just had a bunch of ideas and they put them all together into a thing and it didn't quite gel. I mean, and there's there's some good stuff there and, and God, the performances are good. Like, I mean, you can't, you really can't beat Regina Hall. Like, she's very good in this and she's very good, period. Zoe Renee is is doing a lot with what she's given because she's given very little to work with. There's very, like, the character is very quiet and internal, which makes a lot of figuring out what's going on in this movie very difficult. And I feel like even even the, like, summary given by, you know, by Amazon and, and by IMDb, which says it's about three women strive to find their place in an elite Northeastern university... But anonymous racist attacks target a black freshman who insists on being hot, who insists she is being haunted by ghosts. Each woman must determine where the real menace lies. And that's not an accurate description because this no. movie is yeah, not no. about live. No. <laughs> like this movie is not about live in any way, shape, or form, other than as a you know potential antagonist in this story. Like she is not trying to find her place, unless by trying to find her place you mean trying to trying to make a place for her as a black person in this community which it, it is heavily heavily discussed that she is not and i i honestly i don't i don't jive with the ambiguity on that either yeah. like it's i don't know it, it muddies every other statement that they're trying to make in the story and casting an actual mixed race person in that part i think is, is a troubling decision i mean because you know i i guess you know you want to give black and mixed race actors more parts but also if you have if you're bringing up this conversation about like whether this woman is is black or not, and you know she is in theory supposed to not be, then casting a mixed race person there puts 
puts it, more issues into the casting than needs yeah, to be there. So, uh, you know, I, so I think this is the part that kind of bothered me the most. And I want to like put, put a disclaimer out there. I very much believe in having antagonists who are in minority groups. I believe you know your your protagonist should be black, mixed race. You know, you know they can be Jewish, they can be women, they can be poor, they can be whatever demographic you want. Right? I don't think I I get the idea to treat those characters as precious, but I also find it a bit kind of like condescending and molly coddling, yeah. almost. Like, you no. Know, yeah. Or we should you like the bag, the villains for so long that you know we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to put you in this safe, protective box, and like no, everyone comes and you know, and there are all kinds out there. You can do whatever you like with your villains. I also don't feel any topic is kind of off limits to talk about, and and this movie certainly, you know, goes for a lot of different sensitive to- topics for sure, which is fine. But now, given now, now saying those two things, there's. There's something I found a bit problematic about Liv's storyline for me. And I'm not trying to make any judgments about the director, but I, I think it has to be acknowledged that there's this very difficult conversation and it's come up a lot recently in terms of, you know, a Bairishi child's place in their respective communities, especially when it comes down to, you know, this child being the result of, of a black and white couple. You know, and and there are a lot of questions that come up and they often do. You know, Liv even says a line like, I never figured out where I belong. But when it coming out of Liv's mouth feels disingenuous when that when that's a real kind of feeling a lot among, you know, mixed race kids. Like, I don't feel like I, I don't belong. I don't know which community I belong to. I was raised, you know, one way, but realized I belong to another. Even in my family, you know, my, my, my dad's black, but he's like black Latino. And it took a while for me and my siblings to kind of embrace that Latino part of our identity. You know, we were raised basically identifying as black and all that. And we didn't know we didn't learn any Spanish growing up, nothing like that. And so we started asking serious questions about that as we got older, because for a long time, it just really wasn't a part of us. You know, same with one of my best friends who is um half chinese half scottish and and you know he kind of had his eyes open that that like oh i, I i'm scottish but other people don't see me as that you know because I, I because i have this going on so i think that's a very real topic and i feel like mixed race kids get a lot of scrutiny both from white communities mm-hmm. and black communities mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so it was very troubling to me to have live be such a, a, a disingenuous character and and to not know where she was supposed to stand, because exactly when did she, did she say when she shouted out to get, oh, you felt like a house Negro. You know, that's a really kind of harsh thing to say as our first introduction to live. It did seem like she was like singling out Jasmine. It did make that illusion that, you know, she might be the witch. And there could be a question that comes up, you know, when we have the big reveal of live and, and, you know, sorry for the huge spoiler, but that live might not be a black woman that she might have been a white woman this entire time pretending to be black it 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 brings up this un- icky question well are biracial kids are they frauds are they like are they fraudsters you know are they pretending to be black are they pretending to embrace this this black identity and at least for me the, the movie didn't resolve that in a satisfying enough way to really deal with like kind of like such a heavy question and something that's like just kind of so sensitive right now. Yeah. 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 I I think that goes hand in hand with the way this movie maybe deals with sexual assault. 
Like, yeah. It's introduced as a potential plot point in this story, and then it's gone. Yeah. 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 And as a, as somebody who is half black and half white, I definitely was also uncomfortable with some of the implications and the casting of a biracial person as someone who's supposed to be white. And I, I've noticed that with like when they're casting biracial actors, um, they never get to be biracial. They always have to be one race or another. And if you're like ethnically ambiguous, then good luck. They're just going to cast you as like something random. It'll be like, you're ambiguously brown. You're Latino now. So I, I felt weird about about the casting. And I think Jay put it really well. Since we don't fit in boxes and people don't like that. And so then they try to put us into these boxes and kind of almost accuse us of lying about our identity. Maybe you're not white enough. Maybe you're not black enough. Like, you're not allowed to be, like, something else. You have to be one or the other. I also understand that as a non-binary person, people don't like that because they don't fit into boxes. So, yeah, it, I definitely felt weird about the casting. I, I think they should have just cast a white person. And if, if they were going to make her back, black but not white i guess the reason they had some biracial person was because they wanted to leave it ambiguous as to whether she actually is half black or not but like oh yeah that or there was somebody along the process that was like we can't put a white person in brown face Mm -hmm. Um, yeah uh, like think the worst of it off of the bat like like i like to think people always have better intentions so you know, I could see that that part of why you cast this way is because you want to kind of like protect your plot twist and also, you know, protect this part about, you know, maybe Gail got it wrong. Maybe she really is. Maybe Liv really mm-hmm. did have to lie that her you know, father wasn't really her father, all that. But then I do think it makes a few narrative choices that undercuts that, such as like wearing the witch's cloak at the very end. And I think what mm-hmm. made it kind of icky for me personally was the implication there that somehow Liv was benefiting from being both white and black when I think the reality is that, you know, you don't really benefit from either. I think it's the opposite almost. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So so it's like, oh, she gets to be as racist as she wants as a white person. And then she gets to benefit from playing the black card, you know, off of that. And I just, that just made me cringe a little bit. Yeah, that, yeah. that's not how that works. So, yeah. Well, yeah. To be clear, like obviously, like some biracial people like me do benefit from colorism, but that's not the same thing as benefiting from racism. Colorism and racism are two different things. And yeah. while I do benefit greatly from colorism because I'm white passing, I'm still subject to racism. Yeah. And that is something that like a lot of people do not get. And I felt like even if she was biracial, then that would have almost been worse because it'd be implying that, well, you're half white, so you can't really be black. Yeah. 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 I think decidedly watching this movie and talking about it right after Nope, it does not benefit from that comparison. No. <laughs> nope. Nope is, is done so deftly and everything is so intentional. And this movie, it feels the opposite of intentional. It, there's a, a lot of stuff going on and, and none of it is very well resolved, I feel like. Um, I think that's a great way to put it. I, I, I think there is like an, making very kind of like 
intentional, decisive decisions is highly important to a narrative like this. Mm-hmm. And you just can't do that when you just throw things in there and then just kind of completely toss them out. Like, yeah. I, I, I feel part of like, why Abigail is such a waste, you know, a, again, part of it is that it, it, it once again removes doubt as to if Liv is truly behind things. Because when you get rid of, it's, it's kind of like an episode of Scooby-Doo. Once you get rid of a major suspect, then there's only like so many other suspects left. And it's not just Abigail. Like Abigail does literally walk out of the plot. She literally moves out of the plot. But all of Jack's other friends and, you know, the white boy that's crushing on her, they all kind of disappear from the narrative at that point as well. And like no one comes back. And so that only leaves you with so many people that you've had access to over the course of the story. And it kind of just leaves them as a natural suspect. You know, really is no one else besides Liv by the end of the story. But with Abigail, what happens to her is an extremely big deal. And, you know, and again, it's just like these other incidents that have been happening to Jasmine. Like Jasmine had, they're essentially headlines that keep happening to Jasmine. And then Abigail experiences the headline too. And that's not just, and, and this stuff, you know, it happens all the time on college campuses. You know, we know it's, we know it's a problem. We know it's kind of like, like an epidemic. But there have been some very, very high profile cases recently in association with that. Just like the incidents that happened at Jasmine, Abigail's mirrors some pretty exact real world stuff that has have been in national news. And then she disappears in the plot. And I, I think what we're missing there is a lot of the emotional fallout as well. I think I think we miss I think the director kind of cheats out of answering some complicated questions because it's like okay, maybe Abigail did all this bad stuff to Jasmine, but that doesn't justify what happened to her, you know? Or, you know, Abigail is now a victim too, but in a different fashion. And as if opening this Pandora's box isn't enough, the narrative also says, oh, and by the way, this also happened to Abigail before, in her old life before this school. How about that? And then she disappears. (laughs) It's like, yeah. Anything with with that particular plot, you know, the only... Like, the only thing that I can give it is that it is a commentary on how a lot of that stuff is just swept under the rug and people just kind of buckle under that. But, like, I don't know. I don't know if that that was what was needed in this movie is talking about these issues. Like, it almost is as bad as, like, oh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's fucked up that people just say they, you know, just let it go and say they're not going to talk about it. But, like, no, movie, you should talk about it. Like, (laughs) You're talking about racism and you're talking about a lot of really fucked up shit, you know? I think we can say the word assault. Mm. You know, Tyler, Tyler, when he is, when he kisses Jasmine, is essentially assaulting her because she's, she, he's like, I'm going to make you this super powerful shot. And, and, you know, and you're like the only person in the room and I'm going to kiss you. And like, he, he, does not talk about it he is basically giving her alcohol to take advantage of her and that is also not discussed then it becomes that becomes an issue with the roommate abigail or emil whatever if i'm wrong but after tyler kisses her tyler never shows up in this movie again right i don't even know he might have been one of the guys in the woods i don't know like there was he was like basically a cryptid at that point like his eyes flashed in front of the camera I don't know if it was him or the Mothman. Like, I don't know who the fuck was out there. It was just like, that was so weird. That like, scene like, is so bizarre because I yeah. had to rewind it and watch it again because the scene starts with Gail in the woods with a flashlight seemingly looking for somebody out there. 
There's no lead in. She doesn't hear anything first. We don't know why she's in the woods with a flashlight. It's just like is happening when we when that scene starts. And I was like, did I miss something? Is this? Yeah. I didn't know if the implication was supposed to be that like after this guy, after the Tyler, the guy she was into kissed, you know, kissed her roommate that she like went looking for other guys or that she ended up in this bad situation or what. But like so little context for something that's such a big deal in real life and that this movie seems to decide it wants to jump in on but does not do anything with. Emily, I I think you make a fantastic point where like in the real world, this is how we treat, you know, assault where it'll come up and then we just have this attitude of don't talk about it. I feel like part of the reason it feels like such a, a, a cheat in this movie is because even if that's the direction they wanted to go and it is completely valid, it felt less like, and, and again, I'm not saying this was the intention, it felt less like it was bringing it up as kind of like an important topic and more like it came up as an excuse to write the character Abigail out of the film. Yeah. And that, at least mechanically, that's what it felt like, because that's essentially what the function ended up being. Like, it didn't do anything in terms of developing Abigail as a character. You know, it didn't do anything to kind of contrast story with Jasmine's. It didn't do it. It didn't even do what, I mean, the movie fails on a lot of levels. And I think it fails to create a real concrete, I'll say, freshman experience in college and the negatives of, of being a freshman in college. I, I feel it, it fails to make a really concrete narrative on that part. But in terms of Abigail, it fails even further because, you know, again, you're talking about a lot of the similar lead up that Jasmine had then being dumped on Abigail and then she's just, you know, gone. She's like, well, well, I'm going home. Yeah. And that's it. Feels like the movie has like a lot of deleted scenes that would have added more context. The whole other deleted like, movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just feels like series. huge chunks are missing in the story. Yeah. Well, I guess on that front, would we still recommend it to people? Should people check this out? Yeah, I'd still recommend it. Right yeah. Yeah. I would say that if, I mean, there's a lot of movies that do it better, unfortunately. You know, as much as I, I love Hairwolf, like I would recommend Hairwolf. And, you know, the main reason I'd recommend this movie is, like I said, you know, if if you want to just immerse yourself in what it's like to be involved in a lot of those i mean like that's i i would also put that as a caveat like for for content warning if somebody is also just really sick of that shit but i don't know i mean i would have to put a disclaimer on this is like i would i would ask somebody to watch this movie by saying like i'd like to talk to you about this movie and have like a critical discussion about what this movie did and didn't do you know (laughs) In terms of like, I think it's a great subject for an English class to, or like a film studies class being like, okay, this movie is trying to do this. What is it not doing? But yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was going to say, people. I wouldn't recommend it to people, but I did specifically hit up Jay halfway through the day today and be like, Hey, you want to come on and talk about this movie? Because I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but like there's stuff wrong with it that I really just can't put my finger on. Like, I feel like I, I need to talk to somebody who, who makes movies. So they could be like, "Hey, this is this is where this movie's gone wildly wrong." So yeah, I, I don't I think would I would recommend, recommend it, it outside of those circumstances. I'd recommend it just because there aren't enough black war movies out there, and a lot of the ones that are there are not. Good. Um, now, of course, we have Jordan Peele, so we do have like these amazing black war movies. But 
for a while there were there were not a lot of good ones that were actually created and directed by black people so i would recommend it just because of that honestly it's it's not the worst movie it's not even a bad movie i think and i did like how they handled microaggressions how they showed how these like little subtle acts of exclusion kind of build up and it it's almost like you're being gaslighted because you 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 can barely notice them but they keep happening and they like slowly kind of destroy you so for that reason i'd recommend it if you want like a really good movie that discusses racism i i would just say look at watch get out instead i would not recommend this movie i have to say (laughs) i would not recommend it i do i did really love hair wolf i absolutely agree i think hair wolf is worth checking out but there are a lot of reasons i can't recommend this one but the main reason is honestly the narrative cohesion it just feels like one of those movies that has a lot of like good ideas a lot of intriguing concepts but to be entirely honest a lot of people in hollywood have good ideas uh, but trying to weave it into into a strong lengthy narrative is a different kind of challenge and i i you know totally check out here wolf but i think there are other things that that deal similarly with what master does and kind of manage it a lot better yeah nothing else it's an unpleasant watch it's just not fun to watch it has a grinding stomach churning feeling throughout it that is not fully i think delivered on Uh, on that front is there stuff people would like to recommend other than get out (laughs) and hair wolf (laughs) and hair wolf yeah Uh, i'll start i would actually recommend the first season i think it only has one season on netflix of grand army it's actually set in high school, but you know it's not a horror. It's a it's a a teenage drama, but it it does deal with a lot of the same content that that Master does. But it's a full season of television, so every character kind of gets their proper amount of development. And there are like five six different stories that are just really kind of like thoughtful and well done, and it deals with all of the same stuff, you know in terms of being black in America and being a woman in America, and especially, you know, being a young person and dealing with these issues. It even deals with being unclear about what your racial identity is. It's not a biracial person. I don't, I don't think, if I'm not misremembering, but it does deal with, you know, what trying to find your racial identity in America means. So Grand Army, for sure, the first season, definitely, even though I think it only has one season because Netflix doesn't like green lighting things that people like. <laughs> yeah. afraid of success yeah i would recommend horror noir on shutter if you're looking for themes of horror and blackness there's a lot of great discussion around those topics and recommendations of good black horror movies that deal with a lot of these things and if you don't have shutter you can always pick up the book it's by dr robin means Pullman. It's a great read. I think they're coming out with a new edition soon. So I would recommend that. Yeah, and Shudder actually has both the documentary and they did a a series of short films of Black directors on there, some of which are really good and some of which are okay. I mean, as with any short film anthology, there's always a few that you're like, well, that one is less good, but there's some really solid ones in there too. Oh yeah, there was one of them was based on a short story by... Oh, nice. Yeah. 
Emily, uh, what have you got? Well, I was going to discuss a, a comic that is the same subject matter, but it's more of like a Harry Potter Hogwarts situation. And it is, it is absolutely opposite because it's incredibly unsubtle, which I think works for it. And it's called Black Mage. It's through Uni Press and it's by Daniel Barnes and D.J. Kirkland. And it's about a kid like entering a, a very, very white Hogwarts type school. But in this case, the evil wizard council vends with the uh, KKK. So there's some, it gets pretty strong there but they've got some like the spirits of of black american heroes and uh some some of the same kind of microaggression discussion in that one but i mean it's it's a ya comic and it's fun and daniel barnes is great he also writes a lot of like sonic sonic the hedgehog and gritko and stuff like that so check out his stuff and then also on the subject of racial identity check out board of crime by Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, thank you. Born and Craig, I've, I've read the book. I think there's an audiobook too. There might be a, a show about it, but Trevor Noah, it, it mostly talks about South Africa rather than America, but it's still very, very valid about points about the experience of biracial identity. So, yeah. Cool. I want to do a couple things that I, I think I've already recommended before and then one that's completely unrelated, but I just happen to have enjoyed this week. I believe I've recommended Multifacial before, which is a short film by Vin Diesel, starring Vin Diesel about being a multiracial person trying to get cast in Hollywood and showing up at, you know, one showing up at one thing, trying to get cast as Latino and the next one is Italian. The next one is black. Um, and the fact that nobody really knows, knew, knew or knows where to put him in things. Also, if, if the idea of racism as a haunting is something that you really like and you want to see it done better. The new Candyman from last yes. year is really good and does that quite a bit better than, than this movie managed to pull off. But, you know, it's, you know, kind of specific to Chicago and has a lot more to do with policing and things like that. But yeah, it, it's, it's done really interestingly. And it was one of those that at the end of it, I was like, I'd absolutely recommend this as compared yes. to this film. And then completely unrelated, but I literally just finished watching it this morning. It's on Netflix now, Glass Onion, the second the second Knives Out movie, which does star fairly prominently Janelle Monet doing great work. It's an exceptional cast. There's nobody in this movie that isn't a home run for me, including Dave Bautista playing an extremely unlikable character. Edward Norton basically playing Elon Musk. It's, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, the Dong. Yes, it's just saying the word Dong. <laughs> yeah, Ethan Hawke is in this movie for 15 seconds, I think. But like, yeah, it's it's incredibly well put together. It's a good, fun, enjoyable crime mystery story. Uh, and if you enjoyed, you know, Benoit Blanc in uh, in Knives Out, which was one of my favorite movies the year that came out, this one is on the same level and it has the same mix of like fun and crime and mystery to it and so it's light lightened me up after watching master which is a thoroughly unfun movie also has some great revelations about benoit blog but i won't say anything else yes yes all right well that does it for us before we wrap up morgan can you let people know where they can find you online Sure. You can find me at Diversity Horror, all one word, 
on Twitter, assuming it's still working by the time this airs. Or you can find me at diversityhorror.blogspot.com, where you can read my review of diverse horror fiction. Fantastic. And Jay, what about you? Where can people find you online? People can reach me at Cynical Angst on Twitter. And they can also forward all inquiries, questions, whatever to JJJ20 at Columbia.edu. Fantastic. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter. Mega underscore moth on Instagram and at megamoth.net. Ben's not here tonight, but you can find all of their stuff at Ben the Con on Twitter and at their website at benconcomics.com. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com, where you can check out everything that I write. The podcast is also on Patreon if you want to support us and help us continue to grow. And we're also at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at proghorrorpod, where we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would rate and review this show wherever you're listening to it right now. Giving us five stars reviews helps us to reach more people and helps us, again, continue to grow. Thanks again so much for Jay and Morgan for joining us. Guys, this was really Guys, fantastic. Thank you for having me. so much. Yeah. Yes, I did. it was and, great. Thank you. Yeah. And before I jump off, I will say I do at least think uh, Diallo is a director to watch. Yes. But this story did have a lot of interesting elements. Her Wolf is a great movie, so I think we're going to be seeing her name some more in the future. Yeah. I hope so. Not to like, I know this could be taken as feeling kind of negative, but I feel like she could benefit from being the writer or director on a story and like working with somebody yes. else on, on some, as somebody who. It loves having editors and artists and people to like tell me when I've got too much stuff going on and, and you know pick point out things that need to be fixed. This movie felt like a movie that could have used a little more editing and oversight. As my old art instructor used to say, you know, we get the bad ones out so we can make the because we only have so many bad ones in us. So you get the bad ones out, and then the, only the good ones. Yeah. Thanks again for all of you for listening. Thanks as always for Emily for joining. And until next time, y'all, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Emily, Jay, and Morgan. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Vixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.